Welcome to HackerCast, an end-to-end AI-generated podcast summary of Hacker News. I'm your host, GPT-4. HackerCast is available on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts as well as our website, camrobjones.com hackercast. Today is October 27, 2023. Let's get started. Part 1. Favorites. 1. The Cloud Computer from Oxide.Computer. Penned by Brian Cantrell, CTO of Oxide. This article announces the general availability of the world's first commercial cloud computer, a product of Oxide. The company's core beliefs are that cloud computing is the future of all computing infrastructure, that the computer running the cloud should be purchasable and not merely rented, and that building a cloud computer requires a rack-level approach, co-designing both hardware and software. The Oxide cloud computer is a result of these beliefs, designed to be purchased rather than rented, a model they argue is more sustainable in the long run. The cloud computer is built with a rack-level approach, meaning it breaks out of the confines of a 1U or 2U server and considers the rack as the unit of design. This approach required a team with deep expertise, versatility, teamwork, and empathy, as well as courage, resilience, and time. The Oxide cloud computer has several unique features. It ships in one box, reducing the time from equipment arrival to power on from weeks or months to days or even hours. It is whisper-quiet, a surprising aesthetic attribute that embodies much of the Oxide differentiation with respect to both rack-level design and approach to the supply chain. It also features a blind-mated networking system, allowing capacity to be added simply by snapping in a new compute sled, with no cabling required. The company also built its own switch and networking software, and all of the software needed to operate the cloud computer is built in. The Oxide cloud computer comes complete with all system software built in, with no additional licensing to manage or pay for. All of the software is open source, providing users with levels of transparency not found in the public cloud or the proprietary on-prem world. In essence, the Oxide cloud computer is a revolutionary product that challenges the status quo of cloud computing, offering a sustainable, efficient, and user-friendly alternative. The significance of this development lies in its potential to reshape the cloud computing landscape. By offering a purchasable cloud computer, Oxide challenges the dominant rental model and provides a new option for businesses and individuals. The rack-level design approach and the built-in, open-source software also represent significant advancements in the field. 2. California suspends cruises autonomous vehicle deployment from Reuters.com. The article discusses the California Department of Motor Vehicles, DMV, decision to suspend General Motors Cruise Unit's autonomous vehicle deployment and driverless testing permit due to safety concerns. This follows a series of accidents involving cruise vehicles and an incident where a cruise vehicle failed to avoid hitting a pedestrian. The DMV also accused Cruise of not disclosing all video footage of the accident. In response, Cruise paused its operations in San Francisco and reiterated its commitment to safety. The suspension is seen as a significant setback for GM's self-driving business, which it views as a major growth opportunity. The article also mentions that GM CEO Mary Barra had previously stated that cruise robotaxis have better safety records than human drivers. The text also includes a collection of news headlines from Reuters, covering topics such as the slowing demand for electric vehicles, potential Bitcoin ETF products, and concerns about a weight loss drug affecting U.S. restaurant traffic. It provides information about Reuters and its parent company, Thomson Reuters, as well as a list of their products and services. The text also includes links to various policies and guidelines, and a copyright statement for Reuters. 3. A Dutch graphic artist reconstructed Tenochtitlan in 3D from Tenochtitlan.thomascole.nl. This website, created by Thomas Cole, offers a 3D reconstruction of Tenochtitlan, 
the capital of the Aztec Empire in 1518. The city, now known as Mexico City, was one of the largest metropolises in the world at the time, home to 200,000 people from various walks of life. The website provides a vivid depiction of the city, encouraging visitors to imagine the sights, sounds, and smells of the bustling metropolis. It highlights the city's organized society, with neighborhoods planned in advance, each with its own markets, schools, and places of worship. The city's architecture is also showcased, with large buildings like the massive twin temple pyramids and the palace of Emperor Motekizoma Shokoyotsin standing out against the single-story houses. The site also details the city's geographical features, including its location in the basin of Mexico, surrounded by volcanoes. The city was built in a lake, necessitating a complex system of causeways, canals, locks, and a 16-kilometer dike to manage the water. The Aztecs also created fertile plots of farmland, known as Chinampas, by staking out pieces of the shallow lake and filling them with dirt and rubble. The website concludes with a comparison of the then and now, using drone photography to show how Mexico City is built on top of the ruins of Tenochtitlan. In essence, this website is a tribute to the Aztec Empire's capital, showcasing its advanced city planning, architecture, and ingenious solutions to geographical challenges. It provides a fascinating glimpse into the past, reminding us of the rich history that lies beneath modern-day Mexico City. 4. We have used too many levels of abstractions from unixchic.com. The author of this piece, a technologist who goes by the moniker Unix Chic, presents a compelling argument about the overuse of abstraction in the tech industry. He suggests that this trend is leading to a future where few understand the underlying technology, which could have serious implications. The author begins by drawing an analogy between driving a car and using technology. Just as a steering wheel is an abstraction that simplifies the process of driving, so too are many of the tools and frameworks used in the tech industry. However, he warns that when these abstractions break down, few people have the necessary understanding of the underlying technology to fix them. He criticizes the tech industry's relentless drive for profit, which encourages the rapid production of new products and services. This often leads to more abstraction and automation, and less human involvement and understanding. He points to the rise of roles like DevOps and DevSecOps, where a single individual is expected to handle development, security, and operations, as evidence of this trend. The author also highlights the dangers of relying too heavily on automated tools, particularly in the realm of security. He shares an anecdote about a company that was unknowingly hacked because its developers relied on a pre-made penetration testing tool and lacked a deep understanding of security. In his conclusion, the author offers advice to those studying technology. He encourages curiosity and a deep understanding of the underlying technology, rather than just learning how to use specific tools. He also urges individuals to question everything and not blindly follow trends or assume that others know better. In essence, the author warns that the tech industry's over-reliance on abstraction could lead to a future where few people understand the technology they're using. This could have serious implications, particularly in the event of system failures or security breaches. 5. Embeddings, what they are and why they matter from SimonWillison.net. The article Embeddings, What They Are and Why They Matter by Simon Willison discusses the concept and application of embeddings, a technology related to large language models. Willison explains how he used embeddings to create a related content feature for his blog using OpenAI's text embedding ADA002 model. He also discusses the use of SQLite as an integration point for multiple tools, his favorite embedding model clip, and the concept of vibes-based search. The article explores the use of embeddings in various projects, including Word2Vec, LLM, Simbex, Fawcett Finder, and LLM Cluster. It also discusses the use of principal component analysis, embeddings for classification, 
and retrieval augmented generation. The article includes a Q&A session addressing Lang chain, distance functions, handling large amounts of data, and future improvements to embedding models. The article also introduces ShotScraper, a Python utility for automating screenshots and data scraping from web pages. 6. Internet Artifact Museum from Neil.fun. The article Internet Artifacts on Neil.fun is a compilation of various significant internet milestones, each with a list of sources for further reading. It includes the map of ARPANET, the first spam email, the first smiley, the hacker's dictionary, Usenet newsgroups, the first MP3, the Morris worm, the Dave Rhodes chain letter, internet relay chat, the earliest LOL, AOL dial-up, the first website, an early web photo, the first webcam, severe tire damage, PizzaNet, Justin's links from the underground, Yahoo, the White House page, GeoCities, FogCam, the first Amazon order, eBay auction web, Space Jam, the Dancing Baby, the McDonald's page, the Apple homepage, Beanie Babies, Heaven's Gate, the first emoji set, the year 2000 bug, Ask Jeeves, the hamster dance, the Google homepage, Napster, the Netflix homepage, Zombo.com, Ishkur's Guide to Electronic Music, Homestar Runner, Wikipedia, The Helicopter Game, Friendster, MySpace Tom, The Facebook, and Club Penguin. The article credits the Internet Archive for providing website snapshots and flash files, and Dr. Olson Pook for editing the plaques. The article also encourages readers to support efforts to archive the web. 7. Wait, what's a bookmarklet? From the historyoffweb.com. Penned by Jay Hoffman, this article delves into the history of bookmarklets, a browser feature that has seen its popularity wax and wane over the years. In 1995, Brendan Eich, the creator of JavaScript, demonstrated a feature that allowed JavaScript commands to be typed directly into the browser's address bar. This feature, which was included in the first version of JavaScript, allowed users to create unique URLs that could execute JavaScript on the current page. These URLs could be bookmarked and shared, just like any other URL. This led to the creation of bookmarklets, a term coined by Steve Congas in 1998 when he launched bookmarklets.com. These bookmarklets were essentially shareable JavaScript URLs that could perform a variety of functions on a web page, from opening all links on a page to manipulating images. The bookmarklets were typically simple and focused, doing one thing well, which made them easy to share and understand. However, the advent of browser extensions, which offered a more official and secure way of interacting with a browser and extending its functionality, led to a decline in the popularity of bookmarklets. The introduction of the add-ons gallery by Mozilla Firefox in 2007 and a similar feature by Chrome in 2009 made it easier for users to discover and install extensions, further pushing bookmarklets into the background. In essence, this article is a nostalgic look back at the evolution of web browsing tools, highlighting the innovative spirit of the early web and the constant drive for more efficient and user-friendly features. It serves as a reminder that while technology may advance and old tools may fade into obscurity, they each play a crucial role in shaping the digital landscape we navigate today. 8. The Killer Features of the Steam Deck from Jonashiatala.say The article by Jonas Heitala discusses the author's experience with the Steam Deck, a portable gaming device, highlighting five key features. These include the sleep mode for instant on slash off, access to the vast Steam library of PC games, Steam input for key remapping, the device's open platform nature allowing for diverse usage, and its emulation capabilities for running older or non-Steam games. The author also mentions several games tested on the device, including Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, Super Smash Bros., Pokemon Snap, Punch-Out!, and Pokemon Unbound. Additional features like docking capability, a powerful processor, device connectivity, and good trackpads are also discussed, 
though they didn't make the top 5 list. 9. Now add a walrus, prompt engineering in DAL E3 from SimonWillison.net. The article, Now add a walrus, prompt engineering in DAL E3, written by Simon Willison, explores the capabilities of OpenAI's image generation model, DAL E3. The model, available via ChatGPT+, generates diverse images based on prompts and follow-up requests. Willison demonstrates this by prompting the model to generate images of a pelican and a walrus watching the Monaco Grand Prix, and then adding elements like bow ties using seeds. He also examines the JSON representation of his conversation with ChatGPT, revealing a DALL-E prompt that provides guidelines for the AI. The article concludes with a TypeScript snippet that describes the seed behavior and highlights the prompt engineering within OpenAI. The blog post also includes tags related to artificial intelligence and the source code is available on GitHub. Part 2. Show HN. 1. Protomaps, a free and open-source map of the world from protomaps.com. Protomaps is an open-source map of the world that can be deployed as a single static file on cloud storage. It's an alternative to traditional map APIs, offering a cost-effective solution that can significantly reduce mapping bills. The map data is stored in an open-source format called PM tiles, which is built on compressed Hilbert ordering and can be queried via HTTP range requests. Protomaps also offers first-class support for mapping libraries like Leaflet and MapLibreGL, enabling vector cartography and visualization of your own geodata. The platform can be integrated with edge networks like AWS CloudFront and Cloudflare for ultra-low latency, using Lambda or Workers. It also hosts a free download service for base map layers from OpenStreetMap. Protomaps is a self-funded, solo developer project with a mission to make interactive cartography accessible to hobbyists and organizations of all sizes. It also maintains a Tiles API, which is free for non-commercial use, or commercial use paired with a GitHub sponsorship. In essence, Protomaps is a tool that democratizes digital mapping, making it accessible and affordable for all. It's a significant development in the field, as it allows users to take back control of their map-based projects and sites, reducing dependency on third-party services or API keys. 2. Open API Dev Tools, Chrome extension that generates an API spec from github.com. The GitHub repository OpenAPI DevTools by Andrew Walsh is a Chrome extension that automatically generates OpenAPI specifications for any app or website in real time. The extension, which has received 2.7k stars and been forked 32 times, helps users discover API behavior effortlessly. The repository includes a link to download the extension from the Chrome Web Store and is licensed under the MIT license. The latest commit was made by Walsh on October 27, 2023. The repository provides options to clone using HTTPS or GitHub CLI, open with GitHub Desktop, or download as a zip file. The OpenAPI DevTools can generate an OpenAPI 3.1 specification for any website or application and merges new request and response headers, bodies, and query parameters per endpoint. The specifications are generated from network requests and can be viewed inside the tool using Redocly. Users can also download the specifications with a click. The extension can be manually installed by downloading and extracting the disk.zip file in the latest release, enabling the developer mode in Chrome, loading the unpacked disk directory, and then selecting OpenAPI in the developer tools. The OpenAPI specification, governed by the OpenAPI initiative and the Linux Foundation, is a description of what an API expects to receive and what it will respond with. Users can contribute to the project's development by installing NPM, running build, enabling the developer mode in Chrome, loading the unpacked disk directory, and interacting with the tool in Chrome DevTools. The repository has had two releases, with the latest one being a bug fix. 
the project is primarily written in type, script. 3. IPipe, a Python command line tool for pipeline processing from github.com. The article is a comprehensive guide on how to use PyPipe, a Python pipe command line tool, hosted on a GitHub repository managed by a user named Buggin. The tool is a single Python file that requires Python 3.6 or later and can be installed by placing the file in a directory included in the user's path. The guide provides detailed instructions on installation, basic usage, and examples of various commands and options. It also explains that PyPipe is a code generator and provides information on how to print and save generated code, how to use pre and post codes, how to disable code wrapping, and how to import modules. The repository is open to public contributions and has been forked 23 times and received 615 stars, indicating its popularity among GitHub users. The repository is licensed under the Apache 2.0 license and includes a variety of features such as code, issues, pull requests, discussions, actions, projects, security, and insights. 4. Inkscape Cloud Architect from GitHub.com The GitHub repository Inkscape Cloud Architect by user MipMip aims to transform Inkscape into a professional cloud visualization studio for cloud architects. The repository, licensed under the MIT license, has received 304 stars and 8 forks, indicating its popularity. It includes several files and directories, with the latest commit made on October 24, 2023. The repository provides options for users to sign in, search, clone, and download it. It also includes AWS symbol sets and diagram templates for creating cloud diagrams. Future plans for the project include connecting to AWS to visualize live cloud environments. The repository is written in Python, Shell, and Makefile. An issue with handling spaces in paths due to the use of Makefile is also mentioned. 5. Artist Assist App, a web app to paint better with ease from artistasistapp.com. Artist Assist App is a web application designed to aid artists in their creative process. The app offers a range of tools that cater to artists of all levels and styles, from beginners to professionals, and those who prefer watercolor to oil painting. The app's features include realistic color mixing based on real paints, tonal value drawing, and simplified sketching. Users can import their own photos, select any color directly from the image, and learn how to mix it with their paints. The app provides a step-by-step guide on how to precisely mix that color using atomic or optical mixing. Atomic mixing refers to the physical blending of colors, while optical mixing is achieved by placing a transparent layer of color over another color, a technique known as glazing. In addition to color mixing, The app also offers a palette tool that allows users to save instructions on how to mix their favorite colors for quick reference. The simplified sketch tool helps artists reduce detail and focus on the big shapes and proportions of their subject, aiding in the simplification and abstraction of their paintings. The tonal values tool helps artists capture the light and shadow of their subject, teaching them how to create contrast and depth in their paintings. The Artist Assist app is designed to be easy to use, interactive, and fun, and does not require login or registration. It works on desktops, laptops, tablets, and smartphones. In essence, Artist Assist app is a comprehensive tool that simplifies the painting process and empowers artists to improve their skills and create stunning artworks. Its significance lies in its ability to make complex artistic techniques more accessible and manageable, thereby fostering creativity and artistic growth. 6. Modern Moodle Learning Platform Open Source Alternative from LearnHouse.app Learn House is an open-source platform designed to democratize world-class educational content. It allows users to create a variety of content types such as dynamic pages, videos, and documents. The platform is designed to be easy to use, yet powerful, 
with a focus on aesthetics that cater to 21st century students and teachers. The platform offers a range of features including a blocks editor, which allows users to add quizzes, math problems, videos, code, and documents within a page. It also hints at upcoming collaboration features, which will enable live collaboration on dynamic pages. Learn House is open source and free, offering users the option to self-host or use the LearnHouse cloud. The platform is currently in pre-alpha and available on GitHub. The significance of LearnHouse lies in its potential to revolutionize the way educational content is created and shared. By making it open source, it empowers anyone to contribute to the world of education, thereby democratizing access to quality learning materials. 7. PacLear, a fun twist on the clear command with Pacman animation from github.com. The GitHub repository titled GitHub, Orange Came 3 slash PacLear, Alien Monster, PacLear is a clear command with Pac-Man animation, Alien Monster, is a project by a user named Orange Came 3. The project, which is licensed under the MIT license, has received 171 stars and has been forked twice. The repository contains various files and folders, each with a commit message and time. The repository also offers options to clone using HTTPS or GitHub CLI, or to download as a zip file. The project, which is in compliance with the official fan-made policy of Pac-Man, has had 12 releases, the latest being v0.0.12 on October 7, 2023. The main language used is Go, with Shell making up the remaining 4.3% of the code. Part 3, Code. 1. Was Rust worth it? From jsoverson.medium.com. The article was Rust worth it? From JavaScript to Rust, three years in by Jared Overson, published on Medium, provides an in-depth review of the Rust programming language. Overson shares his experiences and insights after three years of using Rust, highlighting its strengths and weaknesses. He praises Rust for its ability to maintain more with less effort, its integrated test harness, and its linter, Clippy. However, he also criticizes Rust for its gaps, such as issues with Clippy, difficulty in finding functions in its standard library, and problems with maintaining stable APIs. Despite the challenges, Overson concludes that Rust was worth it for his team, but its value for others will depend on their specific needs and circumstances. Additionally, the author's bio and a list of his other articles on Medium are provided. Overson is known for his work on JavaScript, reverse engineering, security, and credential stuffing. He has written several articles, including bypassing captures with headless Chrome and from zero to deepfake. Furthermore, a list of articles and stories related to coding and software development, specifically focusing on the Rust programming language, is provided. The articles cover a range of topics, from rebuilding a view application using Rust to functional programming and monads in Rust. Each article is accompanied by a brief description and a link to the full text. 2. Ruffle, Flash Player Emulator from Ruffle.rs The article from Ruffle's website introduces Ruffle, a Flash Player Emulator written in Rust, designed for both desktop and web applications. It runs on all modern operating systems and browsers, leveraging the safety of modern browser sandbox and Rust's memory safety guarantees. Ruffle is user-friendly, requiring no extra configuration, and automatically detects and upgrades existing Flash content on websites. The open-source project is maintained by volunteers aiming to preserve internet history. The article provides detailed installation instructions for websites, browser extensions, and desktop applications. Ruffle supports ActionScript, the language Flash uses for interactive content, and is divided into two groups, AVM1 and AVM2. The team encourages users to report any issues and invites readers to contribute to the project in various ways. The article concludes by acknowledging the project's diamond-level sponsors. 
3. Local Pilot, Open Source GitHub Copilot on your MacBook from GitHub.com. The GitHub repository LocalePilot by user Danielle Gross is a Python application that functions as an on-device version of GitHub Copilot, a code completion tool. The repository has been starred 2.6k times and forked 97 times, and is licensed under the MIT license. The README file provides detailed instructions on how to install and use the application on a MacBook. The author acknowledges that while the application performs well for simple line and function completions, its performance may vary for complex functions. The author also suggests the possibility of packaging the application as a simple Mac app and invites contributions to improve the implementation. The repository has three contributors and does not have any releases or packages published. 4. Things I've learned about building CLI tools in Python from SimonWillison.net. Simon Willison, a prolific developer of command line interface, CLI, tools in Python, shares his insights and best practices in a blog post. He discusses his favorite projects, including SQLite Utils, LLM, Shot Scraper, and Dataset, and introduces a new tool, Blip Caption, which generates captions for image files. Willison begins by explaining his use of a template, Simono slash click app, to start new CLI apps. He then delves into the conventions he follows for designing CLI tools, using the Python library click. He emphasizes the importance of arguments and options, the use of flags, the ability to accept multiple parameters, and the inclusion of subcommands. He also underscores the necessity of detailed help text for every command. Consistency, according to Willison, is crucial in designing CLI utilities. He recommends aligning new tools with existing commands and options, and with related tools that users may have used before. He often uses GPT-4 to find examples of existing CLI tools that are similar to what he's building, to emulate their option design. Willison treats CLI interfaces as an API and adheres to semantic versioning for his projects. He is careful to avoid breaking changes without bumping the major version number. He also advocates for including usage examples in the help for each command and incorporating help output in the online documentation. In conclusion, Willison's post is a treasure trove of practical advice for anyone building CLI tools in Python. His emphasis on consistency, detailed help text, and thoughtful versioning underscores the importance of user experience, even in the realm of command line tools. His practices could significantly improve the usability and maintainability of such tools. 5. Useless Ruby Sugar Pattern Matching from Spheric.Space The article Useless Ruby Sugar, Pattern Matching Part 1 by Spheric on his personal blog, discusses the controversial syntax elements in recent versions of Ruby, focusing on pattern matching. This syntax allows for matching nested data structures and binding parts of them to local variables. The author explains the concept of symmetry, which is the main intuition behind pattern matching, and how it provides a declarative match and bind syntax. The author also discusses the limitations of Ruby's existing structural deconstruction for arrays and the case equality operator. The article also covers the history and evolution of pattern matching in Ruby, from its introduction in Ruby 2.7 to its improvements in subsequent versions. The author concludes by noting the significant compromises made for this feature and its far-reaching consequences, which he believes haven't fully materialized yet. 6. Some miscellaneous Git facts from JVNS.ca Julia Evans, a seasoned programmer, shares her newfound insights about Git, a widely used version control system, in her blog post titled Some Miscellaneous Git Facts. She admits that despite her familiarity with Git, she continues to learn new things about it, especially when she attempts to explain its workings. Evans starts by clarifying that the terms index, staging area, and cached in Git all refer to the same thing, the file. Git slash index. 
when a file is staged using the command git add, git adds the file to its object database and updates the git slash index file to reference the newly added file. Next, she demystifies the git stash command. When changes are stashed using git stash, git creates commits with these changes and labels them with a reference called stash. This is stored in git slash ref slash stash. The git stash command actually creates two separate commits, one for the index and one for unstaged changes. Evans then discusses git references, which are not always branches or tags. She gives the example of the stash, which is a reference but not a branch or tag. Other examples of references include ref slash notes slash from git notes, ref slash pull slash 123 slash head for github pull requests, and ref slash bisect slash from git bisect. Finally, Evans explains that merge commits in git are not empty. While a merge commit may appear empty when viewed with git show, diffing the merge commit against each of its parent commits separately reveals the changes. Merge diffs only show conflicts, so if there's no conflict, git doesn't display a diff. In essence, Evans' post is a treasure trove of Git facts that can help both novice and experienced programmers deepen their understanding of this essential tool. Her revelations underscore the importance of continuous learning in the ever-evolving field of programming. These insights not only demystify Git's operations but also provide practical knowledge that can streamline coding workflows. Part 4. Data 1. EBCDIC is incompatible with GDPR from shksPR.mobi. The article EBCDIC is incompatible with GDPR by Terence Eden discusses a legal case where a customer complained about their bank's inability to correctly spell their name due to lack of support for diacritical marks. The bank's system, based on the extended binary-coded decimal interchange code, EBCDIC, an old standard developed by IBM in the 1960s, could not support these characters. The customer raised a general data protection regulation, GDPR, complaint, leading to a legal dispute. The author criticizes the continued use of EBCDIC and suggests that using Unicode, encoded as UTF-8, would prevent such issues. The article has sparked a discussion among readers, with some suggesting that banks unable to support a diverse range of customers should shut down, while others argue that the bank's argument is not entirely correct as EBCDIC has many code pages that can encode characters from any European language. 2. The case of a curious SQL query from buttondown.email. Penned by Justin Jaffrey, the case of a curious SQL query explores the nuances of SQL, a language built on the idea of defining an algebra for data retrieval. Jaffrey delves into the intricacies of SQL's behavior when dealing with certain queries, particularly those involving the random function. Jaffrey begins by explaining the concept of predicate pushdown, an optimization technique that reduces the size of data to be joined. He then introduces a curious SQL query involving a join operation with a random function in the join condition. The query is run on a single column table named 1 underscore 1000 containing numbers from 0 to 999. Theoretically, the query should return about half of the total rows, or 500,000 rows. When run on DuckDB, the results align with this expectation. However, when the same query is run on SQLite, the results are notably different. The variance of the distribution is much higher, and all results are divisible by 1000. Jaffrey explains that SQLite transforms the query in a way that the random function is evaluated directly on 1 underscore 1000, resulting in a count that is always divisible by 1000. Finally, Jaffrey runs the query on CockroachDB, where the random function is pushed down into both sides of the join. This results in about 25% of the rows in the final output. When the query is constructed using a set returning function called generate underscore series, the results are even more surprising with tilde 75% of the results being 0 and tilde 25% being 1 million. In conclusion, 
Jaffray's exploration of this SQL query provides a fascinating insight into the inner workings of different database query engines. While the differences in behavior might not have significant practical implications, they serve as a thought-provoking exploration of the intricacies of SQL and its implementation across different platforms. 3. We built a streaming SQL engine from Epsio.io. The article How We Built a Streaming SQL Engine by Moore Kern on Epsio's blog explains the process of creating a streaming SQL engine. The author uses simple and complex examples to illustrate how a streaming SQL engine keeps query results updated without having to recalculate them, even as the underlying data changes. The author introduces the concept of nodes, which receive and output changes, and explains how modifications can be added together if they have the same key. The article also discusses the use of a group by node and how it functions when a new name is entered. The author concludes by noting that while streaming SQL engines are a powerful solution to complex query optimization, there are still major concepts such as consistency, high throughput, and interaction with storage that need to be understood. Epsio has made their streaming engine available for public use. 4. DLT, Python Library to Automate the Creation of Datasets from Colab.Research.Google.com The link in question directs us to a Google Colab notebook. Google Colab, for those unfamiliar, is a free cloud service based on Jupyter Notebooks that supports free GPU and is essentially used for machine learning education and research. It provides a platform where one can write and execute Python code, and it allows for sharing, commenting, and collaboration with others. However, the specific notebook this link leads to requires sign-in, and without further access, it's impossible to provide a detailed summary of its content. It could contain a variety of things, from a simple Python tutorial to a complex machine learning model, but without access, we can only speculate. In terms of significance, Google Colab notebooks are an essential tool in the data science and machine learning community. They allow for easy collaboration and sharing of code, which is vital in these fields where open-source sharing of knowledge is the norm. 5. Making PostgreSQL tick, new features in pg underscore cron from citusdata.com. The article Making PostgreSQL tick, new features in pg underscore cron by Marco Slot, published on the Citus Data blog, discusses the new features of pg underscore cron, an open-source PostgreSQL extension. The most notable feature is the ability to schedule a job every few seconds, allowing users to respond quickly to database events. The author provides a detailed example of how to schedule these jobs and discusses the potential for large log files. The article also explores how pg underscore cron can be used as a foundational scheduling primitive for more sophisticated schedulers. The Citus Data website, owned by Microsoft, offers a variety of resources including blog posts, podcasts, customer stories, and more. It also provides links to share content on social media, related blog posts, and a monthly newsletter subscription. Part 5. Design. 1. The Negative Impact of Mobile-First Web Design on Desktop from Ngroup.com The article The Negative Impact of Mobile-First Web Design on Desktop by Kim Salazar, Tim Newsesser, and Nishi Chitale, published on the Nielsen Norman Group's website, discusses the usability issues caused by mobile-first web designs when viewed on desktops. The authors refer to this as content dispersion, where content becomes overly large and dispersed across long scrolling pages, making it difficult for users to consume and understand the information. The article is based on a study involving 13 qualitative usability tests and semi-structured interviews, which found that content dispersion increases cognitive load and interaction costs, leading to user frustration. The authors provide design recommendations to avoid these issues and conclude that while content dispersion can focus attention on key points, an entire page employing this design can create usability issues on desktops. 
The Nielsen Norman Group website offers a range of UX-related services, including training, certification, consulting, and free educational content. 2. Amiga ASCII Art from blog.glyphdrawing.club The article My Thesis on Amiga ASCII Art translated to English on the glyphdrawing.club blog discusses the author's study on Amiga ASCII Art, a form of text art created using the Amiga computer's font. The author explores the history of text art, from calligrams and typewriter art to digital text art, including ASCII art and its subgenres. The author also discusses the lack of comprehensive understanding of ASCII art due to limited research and literature. The article delves into the specifics of ASCII art, its origins, and evolution, with a particular focus on Amiga ASCII art. The author also discusses the demo scene, a computer hobbyist subculture, and the significance of Amiga ASCII art in the context of bulletin board systems, BBS. The article also explains the concept of Kali's, collections of Amiga ASCII artworks, and their elements. 3. Pokemon Cards Holographic Effect in CSS from GitHub.com The GitHub repository Pokemon Cards CSS by user Simi.me is a collection of advanced CSS styles used to create realistic effects for Pokemon cards. The repository, which has received 4.5k stars and 413 forks, includes several sections and files, each with its own commit history. Users can interact with the repository in various ways, such as cloning it or opening it with GitHub Desktop. The repository also links to a website where the CSS styles can be viewed in action. The repository includes files like index.html, jsconfig.json, packagelock.json, package.json, and vite.config.js, each of which has undergone various updates and modifications. The readme.md file provides a detailed project overview and includes a donation section. The repository has six contributors and is licensed under the GPL 3.0 license. The project primarily uses CSS, followed by Svelte, Shell, HTML, and JavaScript. Part 6. Books. 1. Startup CTO's Handbook from GitHub.com. The GitHub repository Startup CTO Handbook by Zach Goldberg contains a book on leadership, management, and technical topics for software engineering team leaders. The repository is public and has received 7.8k stars and 330 forks. The book is also available at tohbi.com and on Amazon. The repository is being updated with the book's content in markdown format, and the author encourages readers to contribute issues or pull requests for future editions. The licensing terms allow for copies, changes, and redistribution, but not reselling. The repository has 60 watchers and 10 contributors. The footer includes links to GitHub's terms of service, privacy policy, and other information. 2. A philosophy of software design from web.stanford.edu. The webpage in question is a brief overview of the second edition of A Philosophy of Software Design, a book by John Osterhout, a professor in the Department of Computer Science at Stanford University. The second edition, released in July 2021, is available on Amazon in both paperback and electronic forms. The updated edition introduces a few significant changes. Firstly, a new chapter titled Decide What Matters has been added. This chapter emphasizes the importance of distinguishing between important and unimportant aspects in software design and focusing on the former. Secondly, the author has expanded and reworked Chapter 6, General Purpose Modules Are Deeper, to underscore the growing importance of choosing general-purpose approaches in software design. Lastly, Osterhout has included subsections in two chapters to compare his design philosophy with that of Robert Martin's Clean Code, highlighting their differing views on topics such as method length and the role of comments. For those who already own the first edition, 
Osterhout has made the new chapters and the comparisons with clean code available in a book extract, suggesting that it may not be necessary to purchase the second edition if one already owns the first. In essence, this second edition of a philosophy of software design offers updated insights into software design principles, with a focus on discerning what matters, advocating for general-purpose approaches, and contrasting different design philosophies. It serves as a valuable resource for those interested in the evolving landscape of software design. 3. Book Review, Going Infinite from thesev.substack.com The article is a critical review of Michael Lewis's book Going Infinite, which profiles Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, a prominent figure in the cryptocurrency world. The reviewer, Zvi Moshawitz, initially doubted the book's value but was pleasantly surprised by the insights it provided into SBF's psychology and the world of effective altruism. However, Moshawitz criticizes Lewis for failing to fully understand SBF and for overlooking key facts and considerations. Moshawitz describes SBF as a highly intelligent, manipulative individual involved in fraudulent activities, but also a true believer in effective altruism. The article also explores SBF's childhood, philosophical views, and persona transformation. It criticizes the dangers of setting maximalist goals without ethical considerations, using SBF's story as a cautionary tale. The article also includes a critique of The Codebreaker, another book by Lewis, focusing on SBF's time at Jane Street Capital and his lack of honesty and transparency. 4. A graphic novel version of Watership Down aims to temper darkness with hope from text.npr.org. The article, penned by Matthew Schuerman, delves into the creation and evolution of the children's classic, Watership Down. The tale, which began as a story told by Richard Adams to his daughters during a drive through the British countryside, has since been transformed into a book, a film, and now, a graphic novel. Adams, an Oxford-educated civil servant, spun a tale of two rabbits, Hazel and Fiverr, who leave their warren due to a premonition of doom and embark on a perilous journey in search of safety. The story, which was initially improvised, was later written down and expanded upon, with Adams' daughters providing regular input. Despite initial rejections from publishers who deemed it too long for children and unappealing to adults, Watership Down was published in 1972 and has since been read by all ages, selling over 50 million copies worldwide. The 1978 animated film adaptation, despite being rated G, was notorious for its dark themes, leading to its reclassification as PG in recent years. The graphic novel version, created by James Sturm and Joe Sutphin, aims to provide a more balanced interpretation, focusing less on the peril and more on the hope inherent in the story. The creators worked closely with Adam's daughters and visited the real Watership Down, a hill in southern England, to ensure authenticity. The enduring appeal of Watership Down lies in its layered narrative, which encompasses elements of nature, mythology, political philosophy, and overcoming prejudice. Its transformation into a graphic novel not only introduces the tale to a new audience but also sparks a renewed discussion about the boundaries between children's and adult literature. Part 7. Working. 2. No. It's less effort than that from SmartGuest.is. Penned by Bjorn Brynjar Jonsson, this insightful piece from SmartGuest tackles the common issue of underestimation in agile development. The author likens pushing for a lower development estimate to negotiating better weather with a meteorologist, highlighting the futility of such an approach. Jonsson begins by discussing the common scenario where stakeholders, often with limited technical knowledge, question the estimates provided by the development team. This questioning, he argues, leads to a path of diminished trust and sets unrealistic expectations about software delivery timelines. He cites an article titled Is Tasking Developers with Creating Detailed Estimates a Waste of Money? To support his point. 
The author then delves into why pushing for lower estimates, especially without new facts impacting the effort, is a flawed approach. He likens the development team to a meteorologist, who uses knowledge and data to forecast, not control, the weather. Similarly, a development team uses their knowledge and data to forecast the expected effort, not control it. He warns against practices like skipping parts of the process to deliver lower quality software or working longer hours, citing several Reddit threads as cautionary tales. Yonson concludes by suggesting a more productive dialogue with stakeholders. Instead of pushing for lower estimates, he advises discussing the cost, time-consuming parts, and unknowns of the story, and exploring alternative ways to address these issues. He also recommends slicing up the story and delivering it in multiple parts, validating each part early, and leaving out features that require lots of effort but offer little value. In essence, this article underscores the importance of realistic estimation in agile development and the need for a more informed dialogue between stakeholders and development teams. It serves as a reminder that pushing for lower estimates without substantial reasoning can lead to compromised quality and strained relationships. Part 8. Learn. 1. Judas Goat from n.wikipedia.org. The Wikipedia article on Judas Goat explains the role and history of these trained goats in animal herding and conservation efforts. Originating from 1800s cattle drives in the U.S., a Judas goat is used to lead other animals to specific destinations, often to slaughter. The term also refers to goats used to locate and eradicate feral goats and other invasive species. The article cites specific projects where Judas goats were used, such as on San Clemente Island and in the Galapagos Islands. The article's references include a variety of sources, from books and academic articles to online news articles. The Wikipedia page falls under the categories of goats, Judas Iscariot, and herding. 2. Orcas are learning terrifying new behaviors. Are they getting smarter? From LiveScience.com. The article by Sasha Pear on Live Science discusses the evolving and complex behaviors of orcas, raising questions about their intelligence. It highlights instances of unusual behaviors like sinking boats, feasting on shark livers, and playing with porpoises. Experts suggest that while orcas are fast learners and can teach each other new behaviors, it's unlikely that their brains are changing anatomically. Some of these behaviors may not be new, but rather long-standing habits that humans are only now observing. The article also suggests that human activity and climate change may be influencing these behaviors. For instance, overfishing of salmon has weakened the social bonds within orca populations, affecting their learning and adaptation. Despite these changes, orcas are acutely aware of human presence but do not seem interested in training their deadly skills on humans. The text also mentions other articles on the Live Science website covering a range of scientific topics. 3. Hanuki, Japanese Raccoon Dog from n.wikipedia.org the Wikipedia page for the Japanese raccoon dog, or tanuki, provides a comprehensive overview of the species, including its taxonomy, behavior, conservation status, and cultural significance. The tanuki is a canid endemic to Japan, with unique chromosomal, behavioral, and morphological characteristics that sometimes lead to it being classified as its own distinct species. It plays a significant role in Japanese folklore and popular culture, often depicted as a supernatural creature with abilities such as shapeshifting. The tanuki is also a common subject in Japanese media, appearing in video games like Super Mario Bros. and films like Palm Poco. The page includes references from a variety of sources, including scientific studies, the Yukon Red List of Threatened Species, and works discussing the taxonomy and species classification of mammals. Part 9. Startup News 1. Shopify Files Lawsuit Over DMCA Abuse from TorrentFreak.com 
Ernesto van der Sar reports on the recent lawsuit filed by e-commerce platform Shopify against an unidentified individual for sending numerous false DMCA, Digital Millennium Copyright Act, takedown notices. The defendant, referred to as John Doe and using the account name Sasha Go, targeted various vendors selling perfume products on Shopify, claiming copyright infringement. This resulted in legitimate products being taken offline and vendors risking account termination due to multiple false claims. Upon investigation, Shopify found that all the takedown notices were fraudulent, being used to harass the platform and its merchants. The information provided by Sasha Go was also found to be false. In response, Shopify has filed a complaint alleging DMCA violations at a federal court in New York. The company states that the defendant does not own any of the copyrights they claim in their notices. The false claims resulted in actual removals and strikes on the affected store's accounts. These strikes can be removed if the merchant files a successful counter-notice, but this process can take up to two weeks. Merchants unaware of their right to appeal risk losing their accounts. Shopify alleges that the defendant sent more than 70 fraudulent takedown notices from October 5 to October 13, resulting in 52 strikes against various stores. The company has since launched an investigation, restored all items, and removed all strikes, but at a significant cost. Shopify is seeking damages and an injunction to prevent more false DMCA notices in the future. This case highlights the potential for abuse within the DMCA takedown process and the challenges faced by platforms in verifying the validity of such notices. It also underscores the potential harm to vendors who may be targeted by false claims. 2. Nokia to cut up to 14,000 jobs as U.S. demand shrinks, growth uncertain from Reuters.com. The article from Reuters discusses Nokia's plan to cut up to 14,000 jobs due to a decrease in demand for 5G equipment, resulting in a 20% drop in Q3 sales. The company aims to save between 800 million and 1.2 billion euros by 2026 through these job cuts. Despite the challenges, Nokia did not cut its full-year outlook. The article also highlights the slow adoption of 5G technology in the telecom industry, leading to struggles with investment budgets and cost cuts. The text also includes two news headlines from Reuters, one about the SEC receiving filings for possible Bitcoin ETF products and another discussing concerns about a weight loss drug affecting U.S. restaurant traffic. The site index of Reuters and various products offered by Thomson Reuters and Elseg are also mentioned. The text provides links to Reuters advertising solutions, guidelines, and licensing rights acquisition, along with its terms of use, privacy statement, digital accessibility policy, and corrections page. Part 10 Fun. 1. The Unix Game from UnixGame.io. The Unix Game is an online programming contest created by Nokia Bell Labs to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Unix. The game involves solving Unix-related questions using original Unix commands and Unix pipes. The game's interface is designed to mimic a Unix terminal, with challenges listed as directories. Each challenge requires the player to solve a problem using Unix commands, and the solutions are then submitted through the same interface. The game also features a global leaderboard, allowing players to compare their progress with others around the world. The Unix game is not just a game, but an educational tool. It offers an engaging way to learn and practice Unix commands, a fundamental skill for many programmers and system administrators. It also serves as a tribute to Unix, highlighting its enduring influence in the world of computing. In essence, the Unix game is a unique blend of education and entertainment, offering a fun and interactive way to delve into the world of Unix. It's a testament to the lasting impact of Unix and its continued relevance in today's digital age. 2. Find the date of your birthday in the number pi from mypiday.com. The website Find Your Pi Day is a fun, interactive tool powered by Wolfram Language. 
it allows users to input a specific date, such as a birthday, and then calculates how many digits into the mathematical constant pi that date appears. This is a playful way to engage with the concept of pi, a number that is both infinite and non-repeating, and to find a unique, personal connection to this mathematical constant. The website is straightforward in its design, with a single input field for the date and a button to generate the result. The result is presented as a number, indicating the position of the entered date in the decimal expansion of pi. For instance, if you were to input the date 12-34-56, the website would return the number of digits you would have to count into pi before you found the sequence 123,456. In essence, Find Your Pi Day is a delightful intersection of mathematics and personal significance. It offers a unique way to celebrate Pi Day, March 14th, by finding a personal connection to this ubiquitous mathematical constant. It's a reminder that even in the vast, infinite expanse of numbers, there's a place for us all. 3. Bird with GPS flies into Typhoon from NewAtlas.com The article from New Atlas, written by Bronwyn Thompson, discusses a remarkable event where a streaked shearwater seabird survived an 11-hour, 712-mile journey through a typhoon. The bird reached heights and speeds three times its usual, thanks to the storm. The bird's journey was tracked using a GPS tag, and the article includes images of the bird and its track journey. The article also highlights the potential challenges seabirds may face due to increasing storm sizes and frequency due to climate change. The new Atlas website covers a broad range of topics, divided into four main categories, around the home, science, technology, and transport. Each category has various subcategories, providing a wide range of information. The website also encourages users to follow them on multiple social media platforms. 4. The Magical Japanese Art of Luggage Forwarding from CraigMod.com In this piece, writer and photographer Craig Mod shares a travel tip that he believes is underutilized by tourists in Japan, the art of luggage forwarding, or Takubin. Mod observes that as tourism in Japan has increased, so has the sight of confused tourists lugging around large suitcases. He suggests that these travelers avail themselves of the Takubin service, a cheap and efficient way to send luggage from one location to another. For approximately 13 US dollars, a traveler can have their suitcase sent to their next hotel, where it will be waiting in their room the following day. This service is offered by all hotels, from the most modest to the most luxurious, and even airports have Takubin counters. Mod provides examples of how he uses this service, such as sending bags ahead four or five times during a two-week visit, or having a supply box delivered five days ahead of him during his long walks. He also notes that you can schedule deliveries up to two weeks in advance, which is useful for having gifts meet you at your final hotel or even the airport. In conclusion, Mod encourages travelers to Japan to use the Takubin service, not only for their own convenience, but also to minimize stress for everyone else. He also suggests packing sensibly to avoid the need for large suitcases. This article is a testament to the efficiency and convenience of Japanese services, and a reminder that sometimes, the best travel tips are the simplest ones. It highlights the importance of understanding and utilizing local services when traveling, which can greatly enhance the overall experience. 5. The winners of the JS13K Games 2023 competition from JS13Games.com the article discusses the JS13K Games Competition, an annual JavaScript coding event for HTML5 game developers. The competition, which has been running since 2012, is unique due to its 13-kilobyte file size limit. It is organized by Anjay Mazur from Enclave Games and offers resources such as GitHub's tips and tricks, a blog, a shop, and a newsletter. The competition has numerous partners and a panel of experts from the gaming industry. 
The website also hosts a weekly newsletter about HTML5 game development and announces the competition winners. The 2023 competition theme was the 13th century. The article also introduces several accomplished individuals in the tech and gaming industry, including Yadidia Weller, Freyon Hussain, Raf Mertens, Frederick Kyung Jin Rizzo, Jope Van Duinen, Paul Gotti, Leon Du, Daniel Keller, Tim Salmon, Victor Debone, and Fernando Serrano Garcia. The website features a wide range of games, including Mini Merchant, Wanted, Slowed Dao Run, When Your Neighbors Are Mongols, among others. The winners of the 2023 competition were announced, with Castle Defender VR by Source Scoot, Medieval Matchup by Samuel Van Ekmond, and the mystery at Glamis Castle by Alex Swan taking the top three spots in the WebXR category. In the decentralized category, Portolani by Ethan Smith, Duelo by Thiago Romao Barcala, and Number Night by Kor Hosek were the top three. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to HackerCast.